Thank you, Mike and Lynn. And that song, although it's, you know, talks about Christmas, it really fits uh, the message today really well because we're in, in, in Habakkuk and, you know, Habakkuk really looks at the world and says, you know, this world's a messed up place, <laughs> uh, that there's so much war, um, that in fact, that people often take useful things and turn them into destructive things. Uh, so, you know, the same explosives that can be used to mine uh, iron ore and tin and all that good stuff can be used to blow people up. Uh, the same technology that brings us, uh, you know, medical advances and cures for diseases can cause disease. It can be used to create uh, biological warfare. It seems that the more advanced that we humans get, the more advanced we get at doing evil. Um, and so what are we to do about that? Well, why does God allow that? Those are some of the questions that Habakkuk also asked. And so we are in our series on Habakkuk, and Habakkuk, he was a Jewish prophet around 590 B.C., um, and he was asking uh, God to do something about the difficulties uh, that he saw. He asked God to do something about the injustice and the sin that was taking place among his people because the, uh, his people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they should know better because God, they were God's special people. And Habakkuk saw their injustice. He saw all the wrongdoing. And so he cries out to God. And in, in, in verse 2 of Habakkuk 1, this is just a review, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So that's what Habakkuk, he cries out to God. And God answers him. He answers Habakkuk in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 5. And we talked about this last week, but God's answer, it stuns Habakkuk. It confuses him. It disturbs him uh, because basically this is what he says. I think it's in a nutshell, it's Habakkuk 1.6. God answers Habakkuk. He says, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. So God's reply is, yeah, I'm doing something about it. I'm answering your prayer. You asked me to do something about all the injustice in Israel. All right, I'm raising up the Babylonians who will come and remove all of those unjust Israelites, all of those leaders you asked me to do something about. I'm doing it. And Habakkuk is stunned because the Babylonians are even worse. They're even more violent. They're even more unjust. So today's scripture is Habakkuk responding to God. So he prays to God. God answers. And now Habakkuk responds. And that's our scripture. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 12 through 2 verse 1. And you, you can tell as I read this, Habakkuk, he's trying to make sense of thing, these things. Because, again, the Babylonians, they're even worse than the backslidden Israelites that Habakkuk had first prayed about. So let me read, uh, starting in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. Again, this is, is Habakkuk responding to God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. 
O Lord, you've ordained them, that's the Babylonians, as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling thin things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in the dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mer mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer um, concerning my complaint. I think it's what he will answer. Um, so once again... Uh, we see this theme in, in Habakkuk that questioning God is and can be, I should say, an expression of faith. That questioning God doesn't have to be faithless. It actually can be an expression of faith because look at the divine titles. When, when Habakkuk begins to pray in verse 12, he says, you know, are you not from everlasting, O Lord? And that's, O Yahweh, my God, my Holy One. So he's acknowledging, wait, God, you are eternal. Uh, and then he, he addresses God by his covenant name, Yahweh, reminding God, wait, you're the, we're the, you're the God who makes covenants with your people. And not only that, then he says, my, and you're my God. You're, you're my holy one. And then later he calls him a rock. It's as if he's saying, you know, because I know who you are, God, you've revealed yourself, and I, I know your character, but I also know your plan for the world. And what I'm seeing here, how you're answering that the Babylonians are coming, that does not line up at all. I don't understand how this would help, but I'm going to stand in, on, on like the watchtower and wait for your answer like a watchman. See, he's alert. He's expectant. His questions push him to God, not from God. And that's going to be a theme throughout this series. Pretty much every Sunday of this Habakkuk series, we're going to say that, that our questions should drive us to God, not from God. Because we often have that propensity that when we're questioning and we're not sure what God's doing, we withdraw from God. But no, if we're people of faith, we can have questions, we can have doubts, but because we're people of faith, we go to God. When things don't make sense. And so that's what Habakkuk's doing. Even though God has just responded and answered him, and he's like, where well, that makes even less sense than what I was praying about, he still goes to God. It's an important theme. But in this section, we get a better sense of the difficulty that Habakkuk is having with God's answer. Because it's not so much that God is going to punish the Israelites uh, because God actually said when he made that covenant with Israel that um, I'm going to make my covenant with you and uh, you're going to come to this promised land, the land that I promised your forefathers, but it's also a land of promise, meaning that this is the land that you're going to be my people, I'm going to be your God, we're in this covenant relationship, it's the land of covenant, but if you don't uphold the covenant, if you do not follow me, then I will cast you out of the land. So Habakkuk, I mean, he doesn't really have a problem, probably. I mean, it doesn't say, but with that, because again, that's 
what God said he would do. But what we see is what Habakkuk's problem is, is wait a minute, I don't understand, but why would you use the idolatrous Babylonians to, to kick us out of the land? Because then they'll take over the land and they're going to be even worse. So verse 13 kind of sums it up. He says, uh, Habakkuk says to God, wait, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? The Babylonians are saying, they're going to bring even more idolatry. They're going to bring even more injustice and violence. And God, that's contrary to your will. So this makes the world more messed up, not less messed up. This situation, it seems to be overturning the created order, God's created order even more. And in, in Habakkuk's prayer, there's echoes of, of Genesis, right? Where I think he's referring to, to the book of Genesis, to the creation account, where God, he makes, he makes humankind to rule over the earth, right? And then he mentions the, the creeping things and the fish of the sea, in Genesis, and notice that uh, Habakkuk uses that language. See, the, Babylonian, the Babylonians, they're overturning God's plan for the created order. They do not rule um, to glorify God. They don't cultivate the earth to give God's glory. No, they do it for their own idolatrous purposes. And more and more, they take the creation mandate and what I mean by that is uh, the creation mandate is when God mandated that humankind would fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply, and subdue the earth. And it wasn't to exploit the earth. It was to, to rule over the earth as image bearers of God so that they would take God's creation and they would rule in a way that glorifies God and um, contributes to human flourishing. Well, the Babylonians, they don't do that at all. They take the creation mandate. They have dominion over the earth, and they abuse and they devour everything under their rule, including people. Uh, and they do it all in the name of their false gods, which, again, turns back God's plan to restore the earth, to bring, to restore God's relationship with human beings. And he set that plan in motion. Well, that, seems, that plan seems to be taking a step backwards. So let me return. What do I mean by that creation mandate? Again, I mentioned it a bit, but it's fill the earth, subdue it. It's taken from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. I'll read this to you again. So God said, this is after he creates um, the world. God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That kind of covers it, right? Every creeping thing. Um, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, and, and here's the creation mandate, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So as image bearers of our creator, humanity is to rule the world as God would. And this includes cultivating things of the earth to promote human flourishing and, and good stewardship of the, the world that doesn't belong to us, that actually belongs to God. He's just entrusted us with that. And so the created order of things is the creator and then the people made in his image 
and then the, the creeping things and all the other things of the earth. That's the created order. And they're all supposed to work in conjunction to glorify God and to bless all parts of that order. But the fall of man, the fall of Adam and Eve, it disrupts that order. That's what Genesis 3 is about. But God, the rest of the Bible, is that God is working to restore his creation. He's working to restore his relationship with people. And so he's going to call a man named Abraham and make him into a mighty nation. And then that nation, he's going to, they're going to be a nation of priests and God's glory and his word and who he is. He's the one true God that's supposed to spread throughout the world. And again, that restoration is going to happen. That was the plan. But now the Israelites, well, they're not really doing their job, so God's got to sort of do a redo and a reset for them, take them out of the land, but then restore them, put them back. But the Babylonians, again, and here's Habakkuk's issue, didn't that take 12 steps back? Because they're even worse. Again. And, and then Habakkuk uses a fishing imagery to show how the Babylonians turn this world upside down that they make things worse than better. And so he starts talking about, you know, fish and stuff. I don't see Mike LaMontagne. He would come and he could talk about fishing for us. Uh, you know, he's probably out fishing. So, um, but he uses, and, and I credit Heath Thomas, whose commentary on Habakkuk is really good with this, is that he starts talking about, oh, he takes a hook and then he uses a net and then he uses a drag net. This is technology, Right? that you can catch one fish on a hook, but then people, again, because God has given us, you know, intelligence and, and ways to, to cultivate and use things, we discovered, all right, well, if we use the net, we can actually capture quite a few fish and feed more people. And then, though, if we use a drag net, that's an even bigger net, and then we can catch even more fish and feed our whole village. So it's technology, right? And technology, like any created things that people use can be used for good or evil. But here, what, um, what Habakkuk says is, all right, the, the Babylonians, he uses the fishing imagery to show how, well, they, like they use technology not for good but for evil. So, so again, let's just look at that. So verse 15, it says, He brings all of them up with a hook. So this is, again, fishing. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Again, technology, you know, you're, you're, you're prospering, you're blessing more people. But then, there's, here's the switch. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Again, that things that should be glorifying God we take and we use to glorify ourselves or, or then we actually worship the thing that's supposed to point to God. But then Habakkuk says, but really I'm only using this, this part of technology as an image of how the Babylonians tech, use their technology to gradually get worse to actually kill more people. Right? So verse 17, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Meaning, all right, this is just an image that just as fishermen, you know, get more and more fish, the Babylonians use their technology to capture and devour more and more people. So it's really an image for that. And, and that things that can be a part of that creation mandate, like technology, can be turned into evil 
further showing that the world is just not right. And the Babylonians are prime expression of this. So Habakkuk wants to know, God, will you let the idolatrous Babylonians keep filling up their nets with people? That doesn't seem to align, God, with who you are and your plan for the world to actually restore the world. The world is upside down, and, and this makes things worse. But again, what does Habakkuk do? And this is where we start to apply. How do we apply this to our day? How do we do apply this to our lives? Well, first, again, Habakkuk, he goes to God. That, yes, the answers that God has given him don't make sense. He can't see how this, his particular time and what the Babylonians are going to do are, actually helps advance God's plan or reflect his character. He doesn't get it. But those questions, they don't make him run from God. It makes him run to God, and he waits for an answer. And that's what we need to do as well. But also, we agree with Habakkuk that things are not right in the world, right? It's not like things have gotten really any better. Uh, and, and not just believers think that. Of People of all times and all places have looked at how the messed up the world is and said, this is not right. Uh, things should be different. And we have a couple different competing explanations for that. Like, well, why is the world messed up? Things aren't right. They should be different. And uh, I'm going to talk about the biblical worldview, but there's a, another dominant worldview, especially in our culture, the naturalistic worldview, which, uh, again, sort of says that the, there's no such thing as the supernatural. The only thing that exists and is real is the physical world, right? And that the reason that things are bad is that things are just random, and there's chaos and just by chance, and so, of course, bad things are going to happen because that's how the world works. And, and there is, that makes sense in, a, in one way, and that, yeah, there are things that seem random and, and bad things happen. The problem is, is that, well, if naturalism is true and that the only thing is the physical, there is no supernatural, there's just natural, and all explanations can be found in the natural, well, then you really can't say that's not right, things should be different. Because there is no shoulds, right? It's just then how things are is how they ought to be. That your idea that this is right or wrong, there is no objective truth, there is no objective moral order, it's just how things are. So that sense that this is not right, uh, that's just your sentimentality speaking. So, so that's one sort of explanation. But the other explanation, the biblical explanation of why things are bad is that God has appointed human beings to be his image bearers, his caretakers, but we've rebelled against the created order. And then we receive those results all over in that God does reveal himself. There is a supernatural component to the world, and that supernatural order has actually been put in my hearts, in, in our hearts, excuse me, so that even every human being senses that there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. And that's our, that is in that e internal, eternal sense that God's placed in our hearts that we have to account for. And the Bible says that, that, okay, things are messed up, things are wrong, and God reveals himself so that you have some answers, but it's true that there'll always be certain things that we just don't understand. There'll always be a sense of 
yeah, I don't understand why this happened, but that doesn't mean there isn't a God. It just means there's things that happen that we don't quite understand. And so the basic issue is that instead of cultivating and taking care of God's creation for the good of all people and the glorifying of God, again, we cultivate things mostly for ourselves, and we cultivate things not to glorify God, but to set up our false gods. And the Babylonians, they're an example of that. They use technology of war to catch and devour more people. So, so how do we respond to that? Again, we, like Habakkuk, we go in prayer. I already mentioned that. But the other thing that I'm going to suggest today is that let us be different. Right? This is what God was calling Israel to be different, to be different in, by exercising our, that creation mandate, that, that call to have dominion over the world, to exercise that properly for the good of others and the glorifying of God. So let, what, do, what do I mean by that and what do I don't mean? All right, let's start with what I don't mean by that. Is What I don't mean by being different, exercising the creation mandate differently, what I don't mean by that is automatically rejecting the material world and man-made things. Okay? And the reason I say this is there's always a strain of Christianity in pretty much every religion that has this tendency to reject man-made things as contrary to God automatically. And, and we understand why. Because we use the technology in all things we have. We do use it for evil. Like any neutral thing, we can use for good and we can use for evil. And we always, someone ends up using something for evil. But that ignores the creation mandate, the role that humans are supposed to play. And that is, we're supposed to bear God's image. We're supposed to take those good things of the world, cultivate them for human flourishing and the glorifying of God. So that what it doesn't mean is that, oh, if it's a man-made thing, then no, we need to reject it. No, actually, there are times when we as people, we actually do good in, in reflecting God and glorifying God by stepping into what he's called us to do. And those times we should celebrate and thank God. That, wow, God, sometimes we humans can actually do things that benefit others that actually lead to human flourishing. We thank you for that. An example is uh, Alexander Fleming. Right, put, put that, there he is. Um, I don't know if he's related to Mark Fleming or not, but uh, Alexander Fleming was doing some experience, experiments, and he saw that certain types of mold would kill bacteria. And so from that, he developed really the first true antibiotic in penicillin. Now, if it weren't for penicillin, probably a third of us would not be here, because we've all had infections in our lives, right? We've all had infections, and we took... We took penicillin or amoxicillin or whatever, and woo, it, it took care of it. it easy peasy, nice. And it, this is an example of, of, I think, of people fulfilling the creation mandate where it helps human flourishing and it saved countless lives. Right? That's an example of God says, have dominion over the earth. And so that means, all right, I'm going to subdue this, this bacteria for the blessing of, my, of, of people. And it points and, and can glorify God. That's a wonderful thing. But of course, there's always been people who say, well, God gave us an immune system, and I trust God, not man. 
well, wait, understand that God has entrusted man with the things of earth to bless creation. And so when people actually do that well, like Fleming, to bless creation, then one of the ways we trust God is by saying, thank you, God. Thank you that there are people who are actually exercising that creation mandate and helping us flourish. And God's blessing us through people. Even though, yes, it's true, man often abuses it. So that same experimental method that caused uh, Fleming to do antibiotics, that same experimental method can be used to, again, create biological agents. So let's keep going down this rabbit trail. I don't have much time, but I'll, I'll run down the rabbit trail quickly. <laughs> Is that this science versus faith thing, it's a false dichotomy. If we're talking about science as the empirical method, so what's the empirical method? It's discovering through experimentation how things work, right? The cause and effect of things. Well, once we understand how things work, we can put them to use for human flourishing. And that's a wonderful gift and care for creation. And of course, yes, that same scientific method can, can cause people to invent awful things. But because this world is not right, and humans can always take a good thing and turn it into evil. But again, it's a false dichotomy. Science can explain the process of how things happen, but what it can't do is explain if something is good or bad, if something is good or evil, or why are we here, the big philosophical questions. Science can only go so far but the only time that faith and science contradict is when science is used as, a, as an overarching philosophy of life. Like, again, that naturalistic idea that the only thing that's real are those things that we can measure in the physical realm. That's scientism. That's, that's naturalism. And that's not, this, not science that faith um, and can go along with faith. So as Christians, we don't need to fear science. When used properly... And when morally informed by our faith, it's actually a part of the creation mandate. Science is a part of the creation mandate. It's a part of our charge as image bearers of God to multiply blessing on the earth and to glorify God. So again, the point is science and faith, that's a false dichotomy. The world is not right. And science can either help us make it better or it can make it worse. And faith helps us know the difference. Okay, What's better? Uh, that's where God's revelation helps us. So that's what I don't mean. But what do we mean by exercise the creation mandate differently? Differently doesn't mean, okay, if it's man-made, I don't want any part of it because men are evil and they do all bad things. No, um, that's not what I mean. What I do mean is exercise dominion in your little part of the world. Do it for God's glory and do it for the benefit of others. So use your gifts, use the neutral things in your life to glorify God and to benefit others. So we can start to order our little sphere of the world. Even as we understand, well, God's going to finish the process. He's going to ultimately bring the restoration and redemption. But still, I can be his image bearer right now and reflect God. And so, yes, that means we, we see danger in neutral things like, like technology we can see how annoying technology can be. We, we, we just saw that today um, in that our internet was down. It, it could be, and things can be used to make things better or make things worse. So example, again, while using the internet, right, you can use it to tear other people down. 
You can use it to spread pornography. You can use it to waste time. But you don't have to use it that way. You can also use it to benefit others and to glorify God. You can use it to build other people up. You can use it to spread the gospel. You can use it to redeem the time. See, we see our little part of the world, and will we use our time and talents that God has entrusted us with to glorify him and to help others? And so, yes, we, you know, we can't save the whole world, but God will do that, but we can improve the world around us. Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we had his quote out there. It says, if I cannot, it, we changed it, but it says, if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. So in our little section of the world, right, if, I might not be able to change the world, but I can change and, and, and uh, reflect God and bless others in my little part of the world. And what's ironic is that, you know, Martin Luther King said that, but he did do great things. He did change the world. But it started with him saying, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to work on this right here. I'm going to exercise the creation mandate. I'm going to bring blessing and glorifying God in this one area. And then God did amazing things through him. But see, that's how it works, is that sometimes we become so overwhelmed with how messed up this world is, and it is really messed up, we see how people use things of the world, science, technology, for evil, not for good, and we can throw up our hands and, and, and just crumple up in a ball of despair, or we can do what Habakkuk does, and that is run to God, ask God to, to um, hold us close, to bring us answers, and then we can also stand on the watchtower and wait for God and be responsible with our little part of the world. We can ask God to reveal to us the ways that we can exercise dominion well in the places we have control over. I don't have any control of what's going on in Ukraine, but I have control over what's going on in my little sphere. And will I take the gifts and the calling and the, the talents, all of that that God has given, and use it to bless others, to reflect God's image in my little part of the world? Because that's what we can do, and that's what we're called to do. So don't let the fact that this world is so messed up keep you from, from bringing God's created war order into your little part of the world. And the good news is, is that we don't just have our own power to do this. Is that God has a plan and he is bringing restoration to the world. And a part of that was bringing Jesus. He sent Jesus because he knows that we can't get over our own sin, that we can't save ourselves. So he sends Jesus to forgive our sins, to cleanse us, and then to give us his Holy Spirit. So that a part of now, we're not just entrusted with it, we're entrusted with God's spirit. He gives us his spirit so that then we can bring God's glory. We can bless others, not just in our own power, not just in our own strength and spirit, but in God's spirit. So a part of fulfilling the creation mandate for us as Christians is stepping into the spirit, allowing God to live through us. And that points to God. And then we benefit others even more, because we not just we don't just have our own power, but that's what Christ has done. So we have more than Habakkuk. Habakkuk can look and, and say, "Oh, this is awful," and we do that too. But we also have God's Spirit. We have Christ's redemption. We have His promises that, yeah, Christ has come to save the world, and He gave His life, and then He's going to return. 
And because of that, while we're waiting, we wait for, for, for Christ's return, we seek to reflect him in our world, and we change the world, like one, one life, one little pocket at a time. But it's a wonderful gift God has given us to be his image bearers. It's a wonderful gift he's given us that we can, unlike other animals, like we, we, we can take the things of the world and use them and, and, and make um, antibiotics. We, we can, we can uh, have this technology that we can feed all sorts of people. And just because we can also use technology for evil doesn't mean we give up on that. No, it means that we press into God and we ask for his, his strength. And then we focus on what we can control. And that's our little world our little piece of the world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we confess that we are often are like the Babylonians, and we take the things that you've given us, and we use them, Lord, to glorify ourselves and to make things, our world, worse, not better. So, Lord, we pray that as we go about this week, you would show us the different things in our life that you've entrusted us with so that we can extend your kingdom. We can glorify you and bless others. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us your spirit as well so that we can do this not in our own power. So for each person, Lord, as we sing this last song, would you bring in our hearts the ways, the concrete ways, the things that you've given us that you want us to use this week, today, to glorify you and to bring human flourishing of those around us, Lord. Show us that as we sing this song. And then, Lord, give us, uh, empower us with your spirit so that it wouldn't just be a thought, it would be an action that we do this week as we interact uh, with your created order. Thank you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.